North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. This special release episode comes from CSIS's Beyond Parallel Living History video series. Policymakers, experts, and opinion leaders reflect on historical moments on the Korean Peninsula, including the politics and economics of inter-Korean relations, as well as Korea's relationship with surrounding Asian powers. In 2009, during a strained period of U.S.-North Korea relations, Ambassador Robert King was confirmed as the Special Envoy for North Korean Human Rights Issues. Ambassador King held this position until January 2017, making him the longest-serving envoy in this position since its creation in 2004. He collaborated with the United Nations, the White House, and other organizations to improve human rights conditions in North Korea. But his experience with the Hermit Kingdom began even before his work at the U.S. State Department. When I was serving as chief of staff to Congressman Tom Lantos and when I was staff director of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, we became involved in some of the issues related to North Korea. My first trip to North Korea was in January of 2005. North Korea was a very less developed place. It was not a place where there was a lot of resources available for energy. We stayed in a hotel for government officials. The only part of the hotel that was heated were in the rooms. You could actually see your breath as you were walking down the halls in the hotel. But it was an indication of what life was like in North Korea. If this is what it was like for important guests, the average man in the street in North Korea, and particularly those outside Pyongyang, were living under much worse conditions. At the time, we had been working on the North Korea Human Rights Act. Uh, there was an interest in re-engaging with North Korea on some of the security issues. And Congressman Lantos felt like he wanted to go to North Korea and give a congressional perspective on the interest in getting North Korea re-engaged with the United States and make progress on denuclearization and improving relations and so forth. He was in his late 70s at the time, and one of the comments the North Koreans made is that you're coming here to talk to us on these issues uh, at this time of year and at your age says this is important to you and we recognize and acknowledge that. We had a series of meetings with a number of prominent North Korean leaders. We met with Kim Gae-gwan, who was one of the principal leaders in dealing with the United States at the time. And we had a very productive uh, series of conversations. The focus was was fairly broad because one of the main things that Lantos was trying to encourage the North Koreans to do was to re-engage with the United States and move towards making progress on agreements in the security area. But Tom Lantos also was a very outspoken advocate on human rights issues. He was a survivor of the Holocaust, had been a leading voice in Congress on human rights issues, and he wanted to engage with the North Koreans on human rights, access to information, uh, prison camps, and so forth. Uh, there were issues that were important, but he was the kind of person that could do this in a very polite way without challenging or threatening North Korea. And this was done shortly after the Congress had adopted the North Korea Human Rights Act and raised these issues of, of human rights and put them on the agenda for the United States in terms of our foreign policy. 
The North Korea Human Rights Act called for the designation of a special envoy for North Korea human rights, uh, somebody who would be in the State Department who would have responsibility for focusing attention on the human rights. In 2008, at the end of the Bush administration, just before the election, the Congress extended the North Korea Human Rights Act but made changes. This bill reauthorizes and makes minor revisions to the North Korean Human Rights Act of 2004. That law captured the strong bipartisan consensus in favor of promoting human rights, transparent humanitarian assistance, and refugee protections for the people of North Korea. The special envoy was to have the rank of ambassador, which required Senate confirmation. Uh, And this was an effort to upgrade the importance of the human rights issues that we were trying to focus on. In 2008, Congressman Lantos had passed away. I continued to serve as the staff director of the Foreign Affairs Committee until the end of the year, but decided that uh, it was time to move on. With the change in administrations that came with the election of Barack Obama, I decided I was going to try to find a position in the administration uh, since there would be a new chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. I was looking for some things in the State Department that might be interesting. And State Department Career Foreign Service Officer, who had worked for the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, was on the Korea desk. And there was an, a search to find someone who was the right person for the special envoy for North Korea human rights. With the new Obama administration appointees, there was sufficient interest that appointments were being held up by the Senate. In balance, Secretary Clinton was under some pressure to come up with somebody that could fill the position for North Korea human rights. It wasn't just finding somebody to fill the job. You wanted somebody who also understood Congress. And because of my congressional background, uh, because of uh, the fact that I had uh, been involved in the drafting and uh, adoption of the North Korea Human Rights Act, uh, several people thought I was the ideal candidate. I talked with Ambassador Stephen Bosworth, who was the special representative for North Korean issues for Secretary Clinton. We had a good conversation. I told him what the congressional concerns were and why I was the ideal candidate. Fortunately, he agreed and made the recommendation to Secretary Clinton. And Secretary Clinton asked me if I would accept the position. Uh, I was happy to do so, and I looked forward to dealing with North Korean issues again. When Ambassador King assumed the role of Special Envoy, he used his unique position to coordinate efforts to advance North Korea's human rights. As part of his duties, Ambassador King was sometimes called on to intercede in U.S.-North Korean affairs. I was able to go to North Korea in 2011. The United States had been asked by North Korea to provide humanitarian assistance to North Korea. The United States at the time was willing to consider that possibility. We felt like we needed to go there to examine the situation in the countryside and also talk about our concerns about being able to monitor the distribution of any humanitarian assistance that we provided to make sure that it got to those that were most in need. And so I was the person that was tasked to go to North Korea. The North Koreans were a little leery about inviting me. As the North Koreans told me, we like you, Ambassador King. We don't like your title. Uh, Special Envoy for North Korea Human Rights was not something that they thought was helpful. But the North Koreans also were very anxious to have assistance from the United States, uh, partly because they needed the aid, partly because it was important symbolically. We had a number of very positive conversations. 
we explained to the North Koreans our congressional requirements if we provided assistance, how that had to be monitored, how it had to be assessed, how we had to determine need. And the North Koreans, I think, came to understand what our concerns were. One of the things they did, an American citizen being held at the time, uh, Eddie Jun, uh, an American who had been uh, living and working in China, but had been going in and out of North Korea doing business, had been arrested, had been held by North Korea for about seven months. And uh, one of the things that I did while I was in Pyongyang was to make the request of the North Koreans that uh, Eddie Jun be released, uh, that uh, he was a good man, that there was obviously some misunderstanding in terms that had led to his being detained. Uh, one of the things that we were able to do was secure his release. We are very happy to report that uh, Mr. Jun, the American citizen who's being held in Pyongyang, is, has been released. We're also delighted that within a day or two he'll be able to be back with his wife and family. When we left North Korea, we were able to take Eddie Jun with us on the flight. He and I sat across the aisle from each other on the flight back to Beijing. That was a very satisfying experience to be able to do that. And uh, to see Eddie Jun, one of the things that was, was very nice is his family sent uh, a Christmas card to me a few months later. Uh, he had had his, his first grandchild had been born in Southern California. And uh, they sent me a picture of the grandchild and a wonderful letter and expressing thanks and appreciation. I'd like to think that it was me, that it was all my diplomatic skills. The North Koreans wanted to make a point and wanted to show that they were being helpful and they released him. And I happened to be the person that was there. But it was a great honor for me to be able to do that and to see that man who needed to rejoin his family able to leave North Korea and be able to do that. With the U.S. initiating its own efforts to address North Korea's human rights issues, they sought international support as well. Having the rank of ambassador with Senate confirmation gave me enough status and stature that I could sort of reach out anywhere in the State Department and also anywhere outside the State Department with U.S. government agencies and with uh, non-government organizations uh, to try to work together and coordinate what we were trying to do on foreign policy. Most of the work that I did and the staff that, uh, that I worked with uh, were at the, uh, on the Korea desk in the uh, Asia Bureau of the State Department. This is the regional bureau that has the responsibility for sort of the overall policies of these areas. In addition, I worked to encourage broadcasting information flow into North Korea, and this involved an undersecretary of state. Uh, I worked very closely with, at the time, the Broadcasting Board of Governors, which was involved with uh, Radio Free Asia, with Voice of America. I worked very closely with the International Organizations Bureau in the State Department. We spent a lot of time dealing with United Nations issues and, and working through the United Nations to put pressure on North Korea in terms of its human rights activity. The United Nations was one of the key elements in terms of dealing with U.S efforts to improve human rights conditions in North Korea. The United Nations has stature and status internationally. The United Nations was also important to North Korea. It was an important 
symbol of its uh, full recognition. The UN Human Rights Council is the focal point of human rights activity inside the United Nations. The United States had withdrawn from participation in the UN Human Rights Council under the George W. Bush administration. And one of the things that had happened is about the time that I was nominated to be Special Envoy for North Korea Human Rights Issues, the United States had re-engaged, had made the decision to return to participation in the UN Human Rights Council, and we were elected to membership. I was very warmly welcomed by the Human Rights Council. It was a sign the United States was re-engaging with the UN on these human rights issues. It was important. The North Koreans were taking this very seriously. One of the things that we tried to do through the United Nations is continue pressing North Korea on its human rights activities. The uh, UN had created a special rapporteur, the French term which means reporter. The special rapporteur issued a report every year, began in 2004 with a resolution that was adopted in the Human Rights Council calling on North Korea to make progress on human rights. And this became a major focal point of my efforts of, of encouraging tougher language, stronger statements, uh, greater focus on the real problems of human rights in North Korea. One of the challenges Ambassador King faced was that there were often competing interests in U.S. efforts to engage North Korea. Non-government organizations began uh, a process about 2009-2010 uh, to encourage the United Nations to create a commission of inquiry uh, to look at North Korea's human rights problem. And this was an effort to try to increase the pressure on North Korea and identify more clearly the problems. We were very much involved in terms of the discussion about whether to create a commission of inquiry. There were those who argued, eh, we shouldn't do that. It, it's going to take away from our efforts to try to press the North Koreans on nuclear issues. We argued that we needed to press the North Koreans on human rights issues as well as on the nuclear issue. And it, it took a little while, but within the United States government, there was eventually a shifting of, of position that, yes, we should support a commission of inquiry. Michael Kirby, who's a former justice of the Australian equivalent of our Supreme Court and somebody who had been involved in a number of other UN actions on human rights, was designated as chairman of the commission. Marzuki Darisman, who was the special rapporteur on North Korea human rights at the time, a former Indonesian uh, attorney general who was involved in uh, prosecuting uh, some of the war criminals in Indonesia, was also named a member of the commission. And then Sonia Bezerko, who was a human rights activist, former foreign service officer in the Serbian government, who had a very strong reputation in human rights, was the third member of the commission. We met with them. The commission conducted a series of public the equivalent of what we would call a congressional hearing, basically an investigative discussion. But the creation of the Commission of Inquiry really ratcheted up a notch the attention, the focus, the concern about North Korean human rights issues. And this Commission of Inquiry was a major step forward in terms of making progress. And the commission is limited to 30 pages for its report. So the commission very skillfully drafted a 
summary, which took 30 pages, and then included another several hundred pages of documentation and details specifying the violations of human rights that North Korea was involved in. And these were detailed, specific information that one could look at and know that the documentation was there and the charges were in fact accurate. And it was a damning document for the North Koreans. This effort with the Human Rights Council and the Commission of Inquiry gave special emphasis and focus to this issue. One of the things that we tried to do was to give it more attention by raising the issue of North Korea human rights and the Commission of Inquiry report to the level of the Security Council. A Security Council discussion can be held on a topic if nine of the 15 Security Council members agree that it should be raised. At the time, the U.S. representative in the Security Council was Samantha Powers, and Ambassador Powers was very much an ally in the effort to get this put on the Security Council agenda. We were able to work very closely with a number of other countries who are members of the Security Council. We made the argument that North Korea's human rights record was such a, an appalling record that it was a threat to peace and security because of what it might do and what the threat that it, that it posed. And we were able to get the nine members of the Security Council to call for a discussion. The other countries participated in that discussion. South Korea was one of the temporary members of the Security Council. The ambassador was a member of the Security Council, was leaving that December. He gave an incredibly good speech, raising concerns and questions about North Korea, the human rights conditions there. But I'm saying this with a heavy heart because for South Koreans, people in North Korea are not just anybody's. Millions of South Koreans still have our family members and relatives living in the North. We cannot read what is described in the COI report without it breaking our hearts. We cannot watch video clips from North Korea without flinching at every scene. We cannot listen to stories of North Korean defectors without sharing in their tears, without feeling as if we are there with them experiencing the tragedies. It was very important to have that element as a part of this discussion in the Security Council uh, because of the, the passion and the personal sense of concern that the South Korean government and the, the ambassador in particular felt uh, about the issues that were being uh, discussed in, in terms of North Korea's human rights record. This was December of 2014. We were able to raise the issue again in 2015 and 2016. In 2017, the Trump administration was successful at pulling together the necessary nine votes to get uh, the issue uh, taken up by the Security Council. Unfortunately, the Trump administration has not followed through since then. 
they've abandoned uh, North Korea human rights as a, an issue of focus, and the Security Council has not had this discussion since 2017. The United States has also uh, since withdrawn from participation in the UN Human Rights Council uh, under the Trump administration, and it's unfortunate because in terms of dealing with North Korean human rights issues, the UN has been a most effective means of pressing the North Koreans for progress on human rights, and it's been one of the most important things that we've been able to do. But the U.S. Special Envoy also plays an important role. I very much think that the Special Envoy is a critical part of our effort to press the North Koreans on human rights. Unfortunately, the Obama administration was the last administration to appoint the Special Envoy for North Korea Human Rights. We're now three and a half years into the Trump administration. There has been no Special Envoy appointed. The irony is the requirement for appointment of a Special Envoy for North Korea Human Rights issues is in law. The North Korea Human Rights Act says there shall be appointed a representative to do this. The law was extended in 2017. The reauthorization of the North Korea Human Rights Act with the requirement for a special envoy. Three and a half years, we're still waiting for someone to be appointed. The Trump administration has tended to use human rights in the case of North Korea as a stick that you beat the North Koreans when you're trying to get them to do something. Trump raised all sorts of human rights issues before the first summit with Kim Jong-un. In his first State of the Union address, almost 10% was devoted to Korea issues. But no regime has oppressed its own citizens more totally or brutally than the cruel dictatorship in North Korea. And high on that list of Korea issues was the issue of North Korea human rights. Sitting with Melania Trump in the gallery of the House of Representatives when the State of the Union address was given were several North Korean defectors, including a very prominent North Korean defector who lost both of his legs when he left North Korea. He was acknowledged by the president from the podium. Your great sacrifice is an inspiration to us all. Please, thank you. People were encouraged that maybe the Trump administration was going to give some attention and focus to uh, North Korea human rights. In March, Trump accepted a proposal to have a summit meeting with Kim Jong-un. And since that time, no word about human rights has escaped the president's lips. Human rights is not on the agenda. There are still human rights things that are done because they're required by law. Not all of those required by law are done, but some of those that are done are handled at a very low level and certainly not at the White House level. It's important that we have White House support. It's important that the president recognize and acknowledge that that is a part of our relationship with North Korea and that human rights is an important element of United States foreign policy. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org.
If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.